welcome back, Compass Bible Church, to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. This is Pastor Evan, and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden. I'm here. Here you are. Well, here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And this mission is so vital for us that everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill this mission of reaching, teaching, and training because we know how important it is to do this. Well, Pastor Hayden, you preached a sermon on Sunday with a new series to wrap up Colossians called Teamwork Part One, and you preached out of Colossians chapter four, verses seven through nine. Now, I'm going to read this to you guys right now real fast. So it says, I can't even say that word. How do you say it? Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is who is one with you, they will tell you of everything that is that has taken place. All right, Pastor Hayden, what could we have missed from your Sunday sermon? Yeah, there is a lot there. Uh, of course, here in the, the text, it seems so simple. <clears throat> but one of the problems is is we don't get a lot of, uh, you know, what was going on in the time because a lot of it isn't recorded. Uh, you know, even the letter there uh, where it tells you in, in the text, uh, we find it here in, uh, in Colossians. Uh, one of the things we deal with is uh, even in verse uh, 16, uh, you have this this letter, this letter that's read among you. Have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. It's like, well, where is that letter? We don't have that letter, or at least we we think we may not. It could be the circulatory letter there uh, that we have that it is Ephesus or the letter to the Ephesians, but we don't know that for sure. Uh, and all that to say is, we know there are letters that we don't have access to. We don't have them. They're not here. They're not existing. At least. Uh, the evidence that we have or the archaeology that we have. We don't know that. And I say all of that to say, well, at the end of the day, uh, we have what we have here in the text, and we have some other instances throughout the New Testament where Tychicus is brought up. Uh, But with all that being said, there are some things that we do know, or at least we can speculate uh, pretty confidently uh, with Tychicus, with with Paul, and uh, some things I didn't really get to talk about throughout the the sermon that I really want us to, to think about is I truly want you to think about the person of Paul, the person of Tychicus, now, the persons that were there in Colossae, and realize that these were real people with real lives, uh, with real feelings. And uh, if you can see that and then understand Paul being in prison, and imagine yourself in a Roman prison or just in prison, just in the local county jail down here in, in Comal County, uh, just think about the fact that uh, Paul, although that he was in chains because of the gospel, he still just loved and cared about people so much he wanted to get the gospel out. And you have this, this man, Tychicus, who just truly loved people and loved the gospel so much that he just spent his life getting it out to people. And that's just simply what he did. And it took so much time and effort and struggle and trial for them to do that. But they just loved people, and they loved their church, and they loved their community. Uh, and I just, I, I, I just want you to, to rest with that. And if you rest in that, you're going to find that you may have a lot more bandwidth and room in your life for others to love them, to cherish them, to, to commune with them. Uh, and, and you'll notice that maybe just the Sunday mornings and the life groups, they're not too much for you to bear. 
Uh, it's not too much for us to bear the burdens of community and love uh, and, the, and the fellowship, that Greek word koinonia that we're going to read about this next Sunday uh, in Philemon and, and Philippians, which this word is permeating through the text of just how important it is for us to fellowship and commune together. And that is the Christian faith, that we are in fellowship together and that we're in community together and you know, it's just to have to say I'm a Christian without saying that I have this deep desire and love for the brothers and sisters uh, is incompatible with biblical Christianity. And I just think that when you read verses seven, eight, and nine, uh, you see that clear. Uh, at least if, when you understand the context of what was going on there, the struggle of real, genuine community, uh, but the blessing of it and, and the true uh, companionship that you have when you're really investing in the lives of other people. So remind us, uh, Pastor Ann, what were some of the points that you had for uh, this sermon as to, for us to be able to get all in with our community? Yeah, if you remember the, the preaching point, uh, something to the effect of, you know, it's because of our standing with Christ, because of who we are, because of our relationship with uh, God, you know, we ought to stand out in today's culture. And it's because we have the Spirit of God in us who has fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, and even that, right, the fellowship of the Trinity uh, ought to be so evident in our lives of how connected we are with God the Father uh, through the work of Christ uh, the Son uh, and through the uh, the ministry of the Spirit that we have in us. I mean, even the way that they fellowship, it should really uh, help us stand out with our own audacious commitment to one another. The fellowship that we have with the saints should reflect the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Um, and with that, I mean, in the points that I have here, that means you need to fully commit to community. I mean, there is no other way the Christian faith is, is, is acted out and lived out other than within the context of the local church. Um, and I, we keep saying church, 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 but you at least realize, if strip away all the cultural definitions you have for church and denominations and religion, and just go back to the text. And I'm not, church is a good word, right? Religion is a good word uh, in proper context. But I'm just saying, if that's if that if you're wounded by it or you're hurt by it or there's just something that you just don't like about those words, take them away and just say, hey, uh, are Christians called people who have turned from their sins and trusted in Christ, disciples, believers, are they called to live life together in community? And the answer is yes. And so what we have to do is, no matter how we feel about words and definitions, there is no other way to be a Christian without community. And so we got to fully commit to that. We got to whatever Scripture teaches us about that kind of community. I have to give my life to it fully. So, what are some, a couple, two or three practical ways that maybe you addressed in your sermon, or maybe didn't have time to, that we can fully commit to the community of the church? I said it in in the sermon, but we have to at least uh, the leaders of the church are important, right? They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not God, right? We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not Christ. You know, we're not any part of the Trinity. We're not. Uh, we're not this special uh, authority that can add to biblical authority, right? But we are authority that the Scripture has placed into the local church that God, through the Word of God, has placed in the local church to administer and administrate and shepherd the flock. And so, with that, as your pastors and as your leaders and in the church are instituting biblical patterns for community, uh, as if, when you're in your church, you just say because God has placed these men over the church, and in as much as they are taking Scripture and applying it in the context of community in the church, I'm going to do what they're saying. I'm going to go to church any time that I'm in town. If I'm not sick or on vacation, 
right? I'm going to be a part of, of a life group because that's what our leaders are saying, and it's compatible with the New Testament. It's, it's prescribed even in the New Testament for us to make sure we're regularly meeting together and not neglecting that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, hey, what are the pastors saying are really important? Uh, and our pastors are above reproach. They're qualified to be pastors. They're doing their job. And I know there's churches and places who haven't, and, and I get that. But you can't blame all the churches for the mistakes of other pastors and other churches in the past. You have to, wherever you're at, in community, in your local context, fully commit to community. And if you're going to fully commit to community, you, you've got to submit to the leadership of your church. Um, they're not here to lord it over you. They're not here to uh, gain uh, gain any standing or gain any financial uh, benefit from wrong motives. I mean, we're, just, we're here to, to build God's church. And it takes all of us, and for those who are in our church, at Compass Bible Church, it's saying, hey, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be a part of a life group, I'm going to live life one-on-one with people, I'm going to do discipleship, and I'm going to make sure that I'm learning God's Word, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, and living life together with other believers. And with you know, living life together kind of leads right into your second point of looking out for each other. Sure, yeah, I'm going to look out for each other, and I mean that because you want that. Every one of you want that. I mean, you have this desire in your heart, desire in your life, uh, and you feel it you know, when you understand that you don't have anybody there. Like when you need something, and there's there's a there's a need that needs to be met in your life, uh, whether it's a physical and emotional need, uh, whatever it is, you, you know the feeling of when you need it, and you have this desire that there'd be people out there who care about you enough to meet that need. And I'm all I'm saying is you find that in a healthy local church. You true you truly do. I have never been looked out for more than in the context of the local church. You're not going to find that in the sports teams. You're not going to find that in in school, you're not going to find that in a fraternity or a sorority. You're not going to find that uh, in, in a biblical context anywhere outside of the local church. And it's so important that you know you have people looking out for you in a biblical kind of way. And that means that sure, yeah, you need a meal because you're sick. You got a meal, all right. Uh, your 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 marriage is in conflict, and you have another brother who comes up to you and says, "Hey, listen, man, you you're not living in your marriage in the right way." That's called looking out for someone to say, "Hey, I got people here who not only meet my needs, but make sure that I'm walking in the way that I ought to." And that's, we got to do that. I know that a lot of the times we can look to others as the problem, but your final point kind of addresses the issue to go, well, really, we, as Matthew wrote with Jesus' words, we had to take the log out of our own eye. And so it kind of leads to point number three for you. Yeah, you need to start with yourself. And, you know, I, I, I put the point that way because a lot of times it's, life's not about us, right? It's, we need to count others as more significant than ourselves, all those things. But there is a biblical truth that we have to start with ourselves, right? If you're going to be a Christian, right, you can't start with everyone else in the room. you got to start with yourself. you got to have a relationship with Christ through turning from your sins and trusting Christ. So you have to start with yourself, right? And in community, you always, you want a community. You want a, you want a loving, committed community of people who just go out of their way for the good of the, of the group. You do want that. And that's, that's a biblical thing. That is a good thing to want. But the problem often is, is no one wants to start with themselves. Everyone wants everyone else to do that before they're willing to move. So how would you answer the question, okay, what about the, okay, start with yourself, self-help movement mm-hmm. that our culture is feeling? How would How is that different from the biblical start with yourself? Well, I think it starts where you start with your authority, right? Where am I going to figure out how to start with myself? Am I going to the bookstore down the road and looking at the self-help section and picking out the books that are going to teach me how to be a better person or to live my best life now or to you know, uh, how to be, how to live in community for dummies, you know, whatever that, or am I going to scripture and saying, what does the Bible teach me when it comes to making sure that I'm starting with myself in the context of how I live as a Christian? 
right? Of course, I need to look at other people and see how they're living. And, and hopefully, truly, I have leaders and people whose faith is worth imitating. But at the end of the day, I've got to take ownership and I've got to start living my faith out. And I've got to start living in community. And if I'm waiting for everyone else in the world to do that before I start doing it, number one, I'm never going to do it. Number two, I'm never going to feel like I'm connected to a community because I myself aren't doing the very things that I'm hoping other people are going to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so you have to start with yourself. And, uh, and once you start with yourself, you get to the end of yourself and you realize it's not about yourself at all. And that is a great place to be when you're in community. Well, one way to start with ourselves is to go through, even though there's no life group, mm-hmm. even though I know a lot of life groups are fellowshipping right now, um, to, is to do the application question. So as we're sitting down this week and writing out our, the, our answers to the application questions, Pastor Hayden, what is a direction you want us to make sure that we're going as we read the scriptures and try to apply them to our lives? I just pray and I, and I hope and I expect that as you're going through these questions, uh, there's just a lot of introspection, and I love this. I don't love that our groups aren't meeting, which uh, this is good. We we have patterns of breaks that we need to take, and we we took a we made a concerted effort to have this three week intermission uh, so that we can give our leaders a break, so everyone can go on vacation if they want to, just to give that kind of freedom to go for the next three weeks uh, and go on vacation, visit people, all those things. Graduations coming up, and but this also gives a great pattern of time for some really uh, some self reflection, some introspection for you to look at these and say, man. You don't, you don't have to tell these to people, but you need to be honest. You just look at these questions and answer them in the context of where are you at right now? Like, what, what, what are you dealing with? How can you answer these uh, looking at Scripture and saying, man, is there anything holding you back from being all in? That's question number two there, right? Uh, question number three, uh, what are some things you can do this week to look out for others in your church family? Like, ask yourself, man, are you, are you really going to, are you really looking out for people in your church or are you looking out for what you can get in our church? Are you looking out for what you can get from others at our church? Are you really saying, I want to make sure that I'm self-giving, self-sacrificial, the agape love that Scripture teaches us to have? Or am I, am I, am I being selfish? Am I trying to seek out for my own good? Or am I really trying to look out for the good of others? I mean, those are just a couple of places you can look uh, in these. And there's so many more places we can go. But I just pray that you read through them, answer them uh, honestly, uh, and that you can read, answer it in a way where you can go back later and say, man, I've got to work on these things. All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Hayden, with your sermon um, update, or I say update, but review. Yeah, recap. Recap. Spotlight. Spotlight. Here we go. But, <laughs> well, Compass, I'm glad to be back. Um, we have the DBR Spotlight right now, and I just want to say congratulations to y'all. You have are about to complete this week the book of, well, half the book of Chronicles, but in our English Bibles, the book of First Chronicles. Here you are. You're still going and keep keep going. And if you need to catch up, go ahead. Just jump on in with us and use this podcast to help you get you up to speed so that we can be in God's word daily together so we can spur uh, one another on to love and good works until the day of Christ's return. So that is the whole purpose behind reading the Bible together is turning to God and following his instructions. But this part of the podcast is to help us understand what are we reading? Well, as I mentioned last week, it's it's a little bit of Groundhog's Day a little bit. It, it almost feels like repeat, but it's not like repeat with what we just read in Samuel and Kings, but we are, you know, finishing up the book of 1 Chronicles with 1 Chronicles chapter 8 to chapter 29. 
the book of Chronicles was written most likely by Ezra, but as the Jews were returning from from exile from Babylon to Israel. And this is significant because it's showing that God has been faithful this entire time. Now put your shoes in their sandals per se and get their perspective. When the Babylonians, a pagan nation, came and conquered Judah, they would have thought, did Yahweh lose? Did he lose to the Babylonian Babylonian gods? And the answer is no. As we see as scripture is revealed over over this time period in the book of Chronicles and in the coming prophetic books, that no, God used the Babylonians to judge and discipline Israel for their sin. And so what the Chronicle is trying to help the you know the exiles when reading this and even Christians is that you know God has been faithful this entire time. It may not look like it in the midst of tragedy, but no, God is in control and His plan is moving forward. And as you're reading this book, as you're focusing on the life of David, just know that the the future in 586 BC that the destruction of the temple is coming. As David wants to rebuild the temple, as you as you're going to read this week, as you finish the book of Chronicles, just know that the temple that he wants to build, the temple that Solomon built, the the temple that Josiah and Hezekiah you know rebuilt in a sense because it was fallen in disrepair. Remodeled, maybe remodeled, a good word for that. Yeah, yeah. remodeled was the, the fact that it's going to be destroyed and. With with that being being said, the characters that you need to you know see and focus uh, that you're going to focus on you know this week is King one King David, um, and the reason why it's King David and his life looks a little more positive than the Book of Kings and the Book of Samuel, is that the point of the chronicle chronicler is that David is the is the recipient of God's covenant promise. And he has a desire to build God's house, um, to have God dwell within within the building. And God says, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your son. So David spends time setting everything up because he wants to properly worship worship God, knowing that God doesn't need a temple, but God wants to symbolize his presence with Israel by residing in the temple, his presence residing in a temple per se. And the second character you're going to notice is the temple itself. And First Chronicles and Second Chronicles is that the temple itself is a character symbolizing the presence of God. Now, Pastor Hayden, we tried to record this podcast earlier, and it you know died on us. So here we are again mm-hmm. talking about that. But what was the question that you posed about the presence of God being in the temple? But then it you know it's the it seemed like the presence of God left the you know left the temple, and the Babylonians conquered. But now the presence right. of God's back. Well, I think one of the things that and this is the reason we do a DBR spotlight is not just that you understand the history of the Old Testament and the context of the Old Testament, but you understand the history and the context in light of New Testament theology and in light of how we apply this to our lives today, because we understand that all Scripture is breathed out God by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so when we read uh, the Chronicles, we should understand that this is for us as Christians, but in what way? Because we don't have a temple, we don't have a sacrificial system, uh, God's presence doesn't enter and leave us like it uh, looks like it's doing here in Chronicles. And so, you know, how would we, uh, if we could, let's give an answer to our church of how we can apply this uh, temple scene throughout Chronicles in light of New Testament theology. What's important for us to understand when it comes to what we could be reading in First Chronicles with God's presence in and out and there and not there, so to speak? 
everything that's happening in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant is pointing towards something, and actually in particular to someone, as we know, is Christ. So when you're reading the book of Chronicles, know that this is progressive revelation, that the, the canon of Scripture has not was not complete at that time, and God's plan was still on, on, on display for mankind to see, where the sacrificial system was to show that the consequences of sin, that there needs to be a payment, that the, the temple's supposed to represent God's presence, and, and when it when his presence leaves, as you see in the book of Ezekiel, as the prophet sees the temple leaving Israel into another a faraway land, that the presence of God did leave Israel, but symbolizing something that he, he he's disgusted and hates sin. But there's another promise. He's saying, I will bring you back. My presence will return and I will be the one that brings you back to the land I promised to your ancestors. But there's no way I'm going to do that. And it's all pointing towards the culmination of what Christ did as there was sacrifice after sacrifice, as the priest had to, you know, confess his own sins and repent of his own sins all the time and every year of the Day of Atonement to, to be on an advocate for the nation of Israel. As the book of Hebrews, as we discussed last time when we were attempting to record this, that Christ is the perfect sacrifice mm-hmm. of all sacrifice, not to cover one sin, but all sin. Right. That he is the priest that doesn't need to sacrifice after sacrifice, as you pointed out, as we discussed it discussed this that when Christ, you know, intercedes, he sat down, his work is done, and mm-hmm. he's actually still in the, you know, as Hebrews describes it, in the Holy of Holies, in the presence of God, advocating for the believer. Mm-hmm. And so the book of Chronicles is trying to show that, you know, Israel's relationship with God and mankind's relationship with God, saying it's not complete. You need someone else. Right. Christ is that someone now. The reason why the Holy Spirit doesn't leave the believer is because of the work of Christ. We see that work beginning in Matthew 27 on the, by the crucifixion when Christ died, the temple that separated man from God was torn in two. The separation is now gone. Mm-hmm. And as Paul points out in Galatians and, and throughout the book of first Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that it is since we've been crucified in Christ is not no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in me. The reason why the presence of God will never leave the Christian, the Holy Spirit will never leave the Christian, is not the work of the Christian. It's because of the the perfect sacrifice, the perfect advocacy, the perfect work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so the presence of, presence of God will never leave the believer, and that should be an encouragement. As we read Chronicles, as the Israelites are trying to see what God has revealed and having a faith and hope in that God would bring them back and dwell with his people— we get to experience that as the church, as God dwells within us, as we live in the here and now, looking forward to the 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 then and later. I can't even think of then the and there. Then and there. Right. Thank you. The then and there is will be culminated with the new heavens, the new earth. And, and we see this uh, in a great scripture in uh, Colossians two seventeen. Like these things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Even when we look at the temple system, the temple. Uh, you look at the priests, and you look at the sacrifice. I mean, those were a shadow of things to come. They were, those were leading us, as Pastor Evan was saying, to Christ. Uh, the temple was the presence of God there. Uh, Christ's name, when he was born, Emmanuel, God with us, right? I mean, there, bam, there it is. There's your crescendo that God is no longer with us in a temple, but he is, he is with us there in the New Testament, in the little man, in the God, Christ. Uh, and then Christ promises us, he says, listen, it's good that I go, because when I leave, I will send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be 
with you. And so, again, it's God's, it was God's plan always to be with his people. And we see that there in the temple system, which is a shadow of things to come. Uh, the, the priests, as Pastor Evan is saying, we see it in Hebrews 1.3, uh, when Christ made atonement for sins, he sat down, something the high priests were never able to do. They couldn't sit down because every single year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they had to sacrifice every single year. And all the other sacrifices that they did through the sacrificial system throughout the year, their job was always to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. They were never done with their job. But Christ, when he did, when he did his sacrifice, when he atoned for sin, he sat down signifying that it's finished. And then, of course, the sacrifices were always uh, signifying in the Old Testament the fact that uh, your sin always needs to atone for. There's never a finish to it. You need to always make sure you're sacrificing for your sin uh, and how Christ became that sacrificial lamb that was good for all sin. It covered all sin. Uh, that's why in the Old Testament you have the law, right? It's a working law. It's something that you have to do. You have to do it to receive the forgiveness uh, of your sin in the New Testament. Uh, we have sin dealt with, and we trust in that. Therefore, it's not a work on our behalf. It's not something that we work for to become acceptable to God, but we're acceptable to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So all those things that you're going to learn here uh, through your daily Bible reading over the next week is a foreshadow of something that we find our substance in in Christ. So I want you, as you're reading Chronicles, to look at it in light of our reality in Christ. And even with David, the character of David, uh, the Davidic covenant, the promise of the Messiah came in the man Christ. And so all these things you're going to read should be such a, a promise to you and such a uh, such a, I, I don't know, a breath of fresh air, if you will, that all of God's promises are being fulfilled in Christ. And you get to look at the picture from 30,000 feet and say, wow, these people didn't see it uh, in its in its fullness and in its revelation that we get to see it all in Christ being fulfilled. So it should get, really grow your faith and trust and confidence in Christ. And as building on that, and when you read the life of David this round, see his desire to be in the presence of God. See his desire to worship God and to do whatever it can take. And what he desired, as you as Christians, have. And so just know that he was wanting what you have is that relationship of with Christ. And so that, let this, as Pastor Hayden said, let the, as you're reading this, have the end in mind of the work of Christ and the end of the new heavens and new earth of that future relationship so that this book should help spur you on in hope in the midst of a fallen world. Speaking well, of falling world, which will wrap this wraps up our daily Bible reading. So keep reading, but this leads into the fallenness of of our world with our with our current event, and this is a tragedy and an unfortunate thing that we don't necessarily really want to address because it's a horrible situation. But the shooting in, in Uvalde, Texas, and so Pastor Hayden, you know this is this is so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. With you know twenty one and nineteen children and two adults' lives have been and taken and, and murdered and. It's just a slap to the face of, of the reality of sin and evil. But as a church, there's going to be a lot of questions of what do we do? Do we legislate? Do we donate money? What, what, what can we do to remedy this situation that happened just two and a half hours away? So, you know, Pastor Hayden, what can we do in the, in the light of this horrific and tragic thing that occurred? Well, first things first, right? The scripture makes it clear, right? You need to mourn with those who mourn, right? And there's something I love about uh, the Old Testament, about the New Testament, just even about, you know, the Hebrew Israelite culture. Man, when, when people mourn, people mourned, right? I mean, they tore their robes, right? They, they sat in uh, ash 
you know, like, I mean, when they mourned, they mourned. And uh, oftentimes, uh, whole communities mourn together. And I think that's something that we have lost uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, with so many current events happening and you hearing about everything, it's hard to mourn uh, over every single thing that happens. But I think we need to understand the significance of the Christian community mourning with those who mourn. And everyone uh, is so quick to say, well, here's how you're going to fix this. And here's how you're going to fix this. It's like, hey, guess what? There are uh, 21 people that you're not going to fix this for. There are 21 families that you're just not going to fix this for because you but you want to cause legislation or you want to send money uh, or, or whatever good thing you want to do to try to uh, numb the reality of evil and sin in the world. So I think the first thing you need to do is you need to mourn with those who mourn, right? And um, the reality is... Uh, as Christians, uh, when it comes to death, when it comes to evil, that there is no better people to speak out on an issue like this than the people of God, uh, because we're people who have come to this realization that uh, sin and evil are very real things. Uh, in our culture and in our society, we have done every single thing we can to cover up death, to veil death, to veil disparity, to uh, cover in any way any of the uncomfortable realities that we face so we don't have to deal with them. If you think about even the way that we uh, deal with d dead people, right? We get rid of them as quick as possible. We make them look as living as possible. Uh, and we try to make it look as, as nice and as good as possible. So this idea that we don't have to look at this in the way that it really is, and it is tragic, and it is, uh, it is it's, it's terrible, right? And in, even in these situations, um, we need to look and realize that this is the very reason the gospel is necessary, right? If evil didn't exist, if these tragedies didn't exist, the God of the universe would not have had to step out of heaven, break into earth, and come and make things right. And, and that's fundamental to our faith, is understanding that, yes, this evil is very real. That's why the gospel is necessary. Everyone asks, why is the gospel necessary? Because evil is a reality, and sin is a reality. And so, therefore, we need the gospel. We need Jesus Christ. And so I mean, and you're going to have people all over social media. We've already seen it. It's like, well, prayer isn't going to help. A prayer isn't going to work. Well, the gospel is. The gospel is going to work. And we understand that the good news of the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, but that he's going to come back and he's going to make all the bad things good and all the wrong things right. And he's going to wipe away every tear and there will be no more tears, no more mourning. Right? Christ came to fix these exact problems. And you're right. In the meantime, we're still going to have all these things, right? We are already, and we're in what we call the already but not yet, this reality that we all have this ability to turn from our sins and trust in Christ through the grace and mercy of Christ. Uh, but yes, while we're still here, there's going to be a lot of evil. Uh, and what we've got to do is, is we don't need to try, our job isn't to try to cover it up or move past it or try to give uh, some money, you know, and, and all those tangible things. We're going to, we're actually, today, we're going to reach out to some of the local churches in Uvalde, and we're going to ask them, hey, not only are we praying for you, we'd like to know if there's anything we can do to partner with you guys in ministering to the community and ministering to these families uh, and seeing the tragedies of what happened. We want to help. Be the hands and feet. We need to be the hands and feet. But I think another thing that we often do in our culture is we try to uh, do something to try to fix the problem, at least in our own perspective. Uh, if any of you have ever lost a family member, uh, you know that money's not going to fix it. Right. And I think it's we need to do some introspection in our own lives uh, to say, hey, uh, you need to think real hard about what is helpful and what is not helpful. Or uh, are you trying to cover up something in such a way that it makes you feel better, but you're not actually coming to a real uh, solid uh, understanding of what really is going on here? Right. 
money is helpful. Yes, there are expenses that need to be paid for. And guess what? The church and we, even us, we, right now, we will help all those situations that are happening. But what we understand is no amount of money, no amount of legislation is going to pay for or legislate out the evil of our society. And what we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if there's ever a thing in your life that said, hey, I need to be motivated. You ever need to be motivated to understand why the gospel is necessary. The gospel is necessary because evil is a reality. And my prayer is going out to these families, and I mourn with them, and I'm, I'm disturbed. Uh, but it is a, a disturbing fact that should not be surprising because we see the Scripture. We see the Bible. We see the reality of the world we live in. And we can try to cover it up in our culture as much as we want, the evil and the disparity of our world. Uh, but Scripture makes it clear that it's abundant. And uh, these situations serve to us, as, uh, in our, even in our, in our nation, that you can't cover up this kind of evil. The gospel is here to make those things uh, and transform those things into um, uh, uh, the right, right? And and not that it's all going to happen in the here and now, but that's exactly why Christ came. And it took that kind of evil to need the God of the universe to come make it right. Uh, And it's hard, and and it's hurtful, and uh, it breaks my heart. Uh, But with things you can do, I mean it, you need to pray. You need to be praying for these families. You need to be praying for the the families uh, of the victims. You need to be praying for the family of the shooter, right? That God would, uh, God, that God would do something and move in grace and mercy in the lives of these people. Uh, that they would come to know Christ. That uh, Christ would move in the in the lives of the local churches there. That they would come around uh, and and give hope to to the hopeless um, and I pray that even as we reach out to partner with them that we could be of some kind of tangible help uh, not to try to appease our own consciences and our own despair but to truly be a light in the midst of a broken situation and uh, just to give you guys you know this isn't the only shooting that's happened over the last two weeks right and it's not just a shooting look around I mean you got war you got war in the east right you got war in Africa those things going on you got instability all over the all over the country you have a, a church shooting in uh, South Orange County a week and a half ago you have the shooting in Buffalo that just happened recently as well you got this I mean, the reality is is evil is is among us right the sin is is very amply evident and for us it's like hey this is why we're here we're here for the gospel we're here to to see brokenness uh, made new and we're here to see lives changed and we're here for the hope of the future that we have when christ is going to come rule and to reign and he's going to fix all the broken and bad things and uh, but until then we've got to uh, be here for the ministry of the gospel we got to be here for uh, ministering to the brokenness in our community and give help when, when it's needed but make sure it's the kind of help that is helpful um, and uh, I mean, there's many more things to say, but we got to start there. And to start with that, I want to start praying myself. Uh, and I want to lead us in a prayer as we are uh, praying for uh, those in Uvalde. So let's pray. God, we do lift up the families and, and great heartbreak and even great despair, even as we're thinking about the idea of losing 19 kids, you know, 19 kiddos who went to school. Uh, God, today just... Uh, to learn and to commune with with kiddos their age and to uh, lean on the protection of adults and to lean on the protection of, of just the institution and uh, they know not knowing what was going to happen today and the teachers who not only risked their lives but some who gave their lives to protect their kids and God I said to be broken for that God I just trust uh, that out of the evil God you're going to bring good and uh, God I'm not here to try to answer all the questions I'm not here to try to 
um, try to make sense of it all. But the reality is, is this is why you came. And I think for any of us to not think truly about this reality, why was it necessary for the God of the universe to come down and do these things? You look at these situations, God, and we know this is why you had to do it. You had to do it. There was no option here. And God, I just pray that even as we reach out to the local churches, God, that you would be able uh, to make some needs evident, that if we can meet those needs and it can be help that is truly helpful, God, that we could do those things, God. And in the meantime, we pray, we intercede for these families. And God, that we would see the peace and the hope of the gospel rain down in that community. And we just pray that. And we lift it up to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God, to end, we always give you some announcements. So I'll briefly give you some announcements we need to keep in mind. The Nationally Equipped Conference is coming up June 3rd through 5th in Boise. Uh, if you haven't registered for that and you still want to go, there's still time. Uh, so we'd love for you to see you there. We have our Exploring Compass, our intensive in June, June 12th from 1 to 4. We'll have child care and lunch provided. It'll be a time where you get to learn about our church, uh, get connected with us, and start serving with us. And we'd love to have you there. If you're new to our church, we want to come, and we want to invite you to that. Be our guests. Come learn about what it means to be a part of our church. We have child dedications, right? If you have kiddos and you've never brought them before the church, to commit alongside your church, to have the church partner with you to raise your kiddo in the admonitions and the knowledge of Christ, uh, we would love for you on the 19th to register your child for the 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. You can register online right now, compasshillcountry.org. Scroll down until you see child dedications, and you can uh, sign up there. We'll pray with you and partner with you to raise your kiddos in the Lord. We have our kids and student summer camps coming up. Registration is open for all of them. We have summer kids camps on June 21st to the 23rd, art from June 28th to the 30th, and Camp Compass on July 12th through the 15th. And that's for all first through fifth graders. And uh, registration is open for all of those. We'd love to have you there. We would love for you to sign up your kids. Uh, If you have any questions about that, please let us know. We have our student summer camp, Revival. Uh, we, we call it Revival, and the theme is going to be Logos, Taking God at His Word. Uh, that is July 20th through 23rd at Carolina Creek, uh, and that's for all incoming 6th through 12th grade. Sign up for that. Don't wait. Uh, we have a limited amount of spots, and we want all, your, all the kids to be able to go who can. Finally, we have a men's breakfast uh, this Saturday at 9 a.m. Pastor Evan's going to be preaching a message on the need for men of God to, to, uh, to be selfless and to be sacrificial and with a selfish world that we live in, God's Word teaches us so much of the need for us to be self-sacrificial and selfless in our lives as men. Uh, team, uh, I just pray for you, church, as we are moving in these kind of times that are evil, these kind of times that are uh, with much despair, God, that uh, God would both give you comfort and hope, but also a conviction and a boldness to proclaim the gospel in the midst of our broken world. And so, guys, as we go this week, I'm praying for you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys soon.